Welcome back to the Hemingway's podcast. Uh, for Henry Clarence Kendall, Henry Kendall. Um, I'm not on a toilet today, so that's an improvement from yesterday. Tecrific, um link to the poem. You've given a link. Did my link not work? Oh, it didn't work. Okay. I, uh, sorry, I thought I'd pasted in the uh, the links there. Maybe it's not copy-pasting the links because I'm on mobile. Thanks, Tecrific, for that. Um, Tecrific says, Is this poem an example of an elegiac, elegiac poem? An elegy is lamenting or hauntingly pursuing a sad or dark thought. There's certainly some parts that felt that way. This passage at least epitomizes the elegiac tone. I'm sure I'm not pronouncing that right. Ah, the theme, the sad grey theme. Certain days are not above me. Certain hearts have ceased to love me. Certain fancies fail to move me like the effluent morning dream. Head whereon the white is stealing. Heart whose hurts are past all healing. Where is now the first pure feeling? Ah, the theme, the sad grey theme. I was kind of surprised in a good way by this poet that I know nothing about, have never read, or never even heard of before. Swim says the Mama Fisher says it reads like a nature poem to me, and it appears that our poet went by the name Henry Kendall, and he was an Australian author and bush poet, who was particularly known for his poems and tales set in the natural environment. The bush ballad, bush song or bush poem, is a style of poetry and folk music that depicts the life, character and scenery of the Australian bush. Bush ballads range in tone from humorous to melancholic, many explore the themes of Australian folklore, including bush ranging, droving, drafts, floods, life on the frontier and the relations between indigenous and non-indigenous Australians. There is some lovely uh, Australian poetry from the early days, um, the sort of uh, gold rush, bush ranger, etc. Excuse me. Uh, Henry Excuse me, Hendrik Kendall does ring a bell. Um, I didn't recognise the poem, though. But, uh, very cool. Okay, so that's our poet. Um, I definitely would have paid more attention. Yesterday, during the reading, I was a bit out of it. Um, had I known that it was an Aussie poet, because I don't think we've had many. I think we've had maybe one other so far in the book. Um, I wonder if there's any other Aussies coming up. I mean, the thing about Australia is there wasn't very many people here, you know, even in the 1800s. Uh, now we're in the 1900s, or getting there. We should uh, maybe get an Aussie or two. Be cool if there was old uh, Banjo Patterson or Henry Lawson. Something like that. Henry Lawson's great. Um, anyway, Arthur William Edgar O'Shaughnessy is our next poet. I'm going to guess he's not Australian. His name is very, very Irish. 1844 to 1881. The first poem is called Ode. We are the music makers and we are the dreamers of dreams. Oh, this is very familiar. Okay. Let me start again. 
We are the music makers and we are the dreamers of dreams, wandering by lone sea breakers and sitting by desolate streams, world losers and world forsakers on whom the pale moon gleams, yet we are the movers and shakers of the world forever it seems. With wonderful deathless ditties we build up the world's great cities, and out of fabulous story we fashion an empire's glory. One man with a dream at pleasure shall go forth and conquer a crown, and three with a new song's measure can trample an empire down. We in the ages lying in the buried past of the earth, built nine ever with our sighing, and babble itself with our mirth, and overthrew them with prophesizing to the old and the new world's worth. For each age is a, is a dream that is dying, or one that is coming to birth. Song I made another garden, yea, for my new love. I left the dead rose where it lay, and set the new above. Why did my summer not begin? Why did my heart not haste? My old love came and walked therein, and laid the garden waste. She entered with her weary smile, just as of old. She looked around a little while, and shivered with the cold. Her passing touch was death to all, her passing look a blight. She made the white rose petals fall and turned the red rose white. Her pale robe clinging to the grass seemed like a snake that bit the grass and ground, alas, and a sad trail did make. She went up slowly to the gate, and then, just as of yore, she turned back at the last to wait and say farewell once more. The Fountain of Tears if you go over desert and mountain, far into the country of sorrow, today and tonight and tomorrow, and maybe for months and for years, you shall come with a heart that is bursting for trouble and toiling and thirsting, you shall certainly come to the fountain and length to the fountain of tears. Very peaceful the place is, and solely for piteous lamenting and sighing, and those who come living or dying, alike from their hopes and their fears, full of cypress-like shadows the place is, and the statues that cover their faces, but out of the gloom springs the holy, holy and beautiful fountain of tears, and it flows, and it flows with emotion so gentle and lovely and listless, and murmurs a tune so restless, to him who hath suffered and hears, you shall surely, without a word spoken, kneel down there and know your heart broken, and yield to the long curved emotion that day by the fountain of tears, for it grows and it grows as though leaping up higher the more one is thinking and ever it tunes go on sinking more poignantly into the ears yes so blessed and good seems that fountain reached after dry desert and mountain you shall fall down at length in your weeping and bathe your sad face in the tears then alas while you lie there a season and sob between living and dying and give up the land you were trying to find amid your hopes and your fears. Oh, the world shall come up and pass over you. Strong men shall not stay to care for you, nor wonder, indeed, for what reason your way should seem harder than theirs. But perhaps while you lie, never lifting your cheek from the wet leaves it presses, not caring to raise your wet tresses, and look how the cold world appears. Or perhaps the mere silence round you, all things in that place grief hath found you. 
Yea, even the clouds over you drifting may soothe you somewhat through your tears. You may feel when a falling leaf brushes your face as though someone had kissed you, or think at least someone who missed you had sent you a thought, if that cheers, or a bird's little song, faint and broken, may pass for a tender word spoken, enough while around you there rushes that life-drowning torrent of tears. And the tears shall flow faster and faster, brim over and baffle resistance, and roll down bleared roads to each distance of past desolation and years, till they cover the place of each sorrow and leave you no past or no more. For what man is able to master and stem the great fountain of tears? But the floods and the tears meet and gather, the sound of them all grows like thunder. Oh, into what bosom, I wonder, is poured the whole sorrow of years. For eternity only seems keeping accounting of the great human weeping. May God then, the Maker and Father, may he find a place for the tears. John Boyle Riley, O'Reilly, sorry. John Boyle O'Reilly is our next poet. 1844 to 1890, just one very short poem. Um, but we might as well include that in the podcast before I wrap up. It's called A White Rose goes like this. The red rose whispers of passion, and the white rose breathes of love. Oh, the red rose is a falcon, and the white rose is a dove. But I send you a cream white rosebud, with a flush on its petal tips. For the love that is purest and sweetest has a kiss of desire on the lips. Okie dokie. Alright. That's going to be it for today. I do apologise for the shorter podcast. I know we're trying to get to the end of this thing, but I'm doing a mobile podcast for the next, well, tonight, two more nights. Um, and then we'll, you know, blast through. I know I've said that a hundred times, but we're getting there. All right, folks. See you tomorrow.